Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Speaking of Animals. My name is Caitlin Holling, and I am the Community Outreach and Development Coordinator at the Flagler Humane Society. Happy Saturday. Before we jump into our show today, I just wanted to share that a few days ago at the Flagler Humane Society, we had 32 cats and two dogs, all from one household, come into our shelter after a domestic disturbance led to the discovery of this hoarder situation. All the cats and the two dogs were living in very poor conditions and were not being well taken care of, as they were covered in fleas, scratches, none of them were spayed or neutered, and many of the cats are pregnant. We are now nurturing all these animals back to health, spay or neutering them, and then hoping to get get them adopted. We ask for any help from our community, whether it be donations, volunteers, who can help us care for all the animals, fosters, or even adopters. Please visit our website at flaglerhumanesociety.org to learn more. Alrighty, so today I am joined by a very special guest. He is a doctor of veterinary medicine who got his degree all the way from Italy, and he is one of the veterinarians who helps us out at the shelter. Please welcome Dr. Frank Caparelli. Alrighty, Dr. Frank, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Well, I was born in the north. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I went to school, raised over there, finished everything. My veterinary field of study became in Italy. I studied in Italy for a number of years. Um, there were waiting lists to get into schools in the United States, so I took the option to go and learn another culture and spend some time in another country. It worked out very well. It was very difficult and demanding, but we were able to get through it. And I returned and can't think how happy I am of what I did. It was a great experience all around. Wow. And you said you had to learn Italian just to go to school there? Yeah, the school systems are a lot different than they are here. Everything was oral exams. You got to exam orally in front of a group of professors, and you had to speak the language. So I had to spend a year just to learn the language, which I'm still learning, but that's besides the point. You had to do that. (laughs) Wow. So do you have any children? No, no children at all. I'm married. I have no children. And I do have two furry babies. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, I just lost one about a month ago. Aww. He was about 13. He had pancreatic cancer. Aww. And uh, I lost him, a little guy. I have another pet now. She's about 16 and a half. And she's just on a little bit of the age dementia yeah. type thing. So both these pets are a little bit of a problem at this point when oh, yeah. forward. They're seniors. <laughs> yeah, I can't complain. Yeah. Perfect. You can adopt some new ones. That's what I'm at the shelter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what inspired you to become a veterinarian? And did you always know that you wanted to be a veterinarian? I always loved the medical field in general. Crossroads were between human medicine and veterinary medicine. In veterinary medicine, I wasn't too aware or too sure of it. I was unsure of euthanasia in animals and why we did it. After experiencing some time working with veterinarians, I realized why we need to do this. And I feel very comfortable about that. So my crossroads became away from the human field back to what I really love, which was that veterinary field. And that's, at this point, one of the things I convey to owners. When we get to that point, there's definitely a reason for this. And that's what I try to convey. Okay, awesome. And if you weren't a veterinarian, what do you think you would be doing instead? If I was in the veterinary field, I'd probably go the other way, back to the medical field, which would be either try to get into medical school, physician's assistant, radiologist, something of that nature, but always in the field of helping people because it was always my key factors to help. And that was my greatest satisfaction, whether it was pets at this point, which probably need more than a human, something to that effect that I saw that, that satisfaction. I felt like I was doing the best. Yeah, that's amazing. 
So what is a common misconception or myth about being a veterinarian? The base misconception I could say about veterinarians is it's, it is like any other position. It's you know difficult. It's bearing. But people don't realize what veterinary field, how how much it encompasses. We are not just cats, dogs, and little animals. Mm-hmm. We're in everything you see out there from federal, you know, the FDA, United USDA. We examine every animal or any animal product that comes in or out of the country, oh. at the borders. Disease control can wipe out not just animals, people. Mm-hmm. Remember the bubonic plague that was yeah. created by fleas and rats. Mm-hmm. If veterinarians were on them, we would have like diagnosed that. So we have a lot out there. We deal with the you know, research, vaccine development, antibiotic development. There's so much more involved. Anything, eggs, milk, you name it, it's been seen by veterinarians. And people kind of not realize that that's a big, big part of what we do. Yeah. We don't just play with cats and puppies. It's, uh, so it's a very a rewarding field because you have so many directions you can go. There are many directions. Yeah, yeah many, many directions. Important. So what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned over your career so far? The most important lesson over the career of all the years was confiding in the owners, instilling them the confidence of what they're doing and their decisions. Some owners aren't sure if they're right, wrong. It's like anything. And I have to convey to them that they're doing it in the best interest of their pet, whatever they may be doing, and calm them. And that's the biggest thing. And I've called people nights just to make sure that they were comfortable, understanding everything, because the pet cannot speak. That's the biggest thing I've learned. Awesome. And what would you say to anyone that would be interested in becoming a veterinarian themselves? I would tell them to take every advantage you should do it. Just go in, understand, like you said, understand that you're not just there playing with little kitties. You have to deal with the owners and their interpretation. A lot of times people can't understand or interpret their pet's needs. And we have to, as veterinarians, kind of diagnose that through the owners and usually through the pet's eyes to feel if something is wrong. If my cat's running to the litter box 20 times a day and that wasn't normal, something isn't correct, mm-hmm. and that needs to be addressed. The yeah. cat can't tell you that. I have to get that information from the owner. And sometimes I'll let the animal pet stay in the office with us for a while and observe it on our own to really try to make a, a diagnosis because the owners sometimes miss it. We miss our own things. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I would say. Okay. And you're passionate about educating pet owners. So what are some things specifically that you're passionate about educating them about? Probably just what I said, being aware of your pet's needs. Okay. The pet may be going outside. You know, you know what he's doing. Watch your pet. See what he's doing. Is he not looking right today? Does he have a headache? We get that too. We have a bad day. Yeah. So are these are the things that we pick up as just a one-time thing. People are busy. Their lives are running around. The little cat's in the corner sitting there grooming himself. Maybe he's sleeping too much. The things I need to know so that if there is a problem, I can address it. Sometimes they can bring it in. If there isn't a problem, at least I could try to find that out. And to let the owners realize, just take the time to see that that pet's okay. You can tell. Once you start to think about it, when people come in, I'll show them the gum color. I'll show them the eye look of the pet, how they're walking. These are the things to look for. If there's something out of normal, I could see it across the room. And that's what I want to try to convince them to see it. Don't look for problems, but if it's there, I want to hear about it. Yeah. I heard you had a lot of experience with diabetic pets. Oh, I have diabetic pets. I had, well, I have a few. I've always gone to this very interesting topic because it's very vague. Even in humans, it's a very yeah. vague, vague topic, and it can lead to pancreatic issues. Mm. And my own, it's personal, my own pet, he was diagnosed with it, and I went through the whole protocol of what I did. 
And these things you have to be on top of because they can go really quick in the wrong direction. Very difficult for owners to give insulin, it's back and forth. And I try to calm people down because when people get diabetic pests, they think the world's over. It's not. It's a simple thing to keep under control as long as we communicate. And communication is the whole point. I don't want them to just go and forget about it. If we can communicate, we can get to all of these conditions. It just the owner has to understand that. Yeah. And that's what we're there to help them with. Okay. And is diabetes and pets similar to humans where they're born with it and they can get it through it's diet or is it just It's right exactly there? the same. Okay. It runs the same protocol. The research we do in veterinary medicine and diabetes, it's incredible because I, I read both. I read the human part of it, the veterinary part of it. I attend lectures on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. And it always goes down to the pancreas, which is where we start this whole problem. And some people, pancreatitis, you could have a pancreatic issue. So it's all based on something that's there. And the insulins we're using, protocols are the same. We follow the same that we do in people. And it, to me, it's a very big, interesting topic because I really like relating it back to the human field, which I was always interested in. Yeah. So I have so many books that go out to extend to human, the biochemistry, just to understand the mechanism. And sometimes understanding the mechanism doesn't mean you can fix it, but at least you can explain it and understand it. That's what we try to do. Okay. And can animals get diabetes through their diet by, I mean, they don't eat a lot of sugar, really, well, but we, is it through fat as well? Well, the we thing is we, the, the disease is so vague in how it can come. It could be genetic in nature. Okay. It could be due to diets, which is definitely a part of it. And it's difficult to put a point on it. So many yeah. times I've been asked that question, you know, yeah. why does somebody who's perfectly healthy develop a heart problem? Why does someone perfectly healthy have a cancer? Those answers, and the unfortunate part is that being in the medical field, the question about being a veterinarian, people can ask you that. Why does my dog have diabetes? Why does my dog get cancer? (laughs) And we're at the top to expect to get an answer to that. And a lot of times there is no answer to that. Mm -hmm. We have to back off and say this is what occurs. We just have to go forward with it, and that's the issue. And very complicated. You have to explain to the owner, my dog is healthy. Why do you get diabetes? Yeah. You help us out at the Flagley Humane Society. What inspired you to begin helping us at the Flagley Humane Society? I had just relocated to the area about a year ago. Okay. And I did work, did some work at shelters up where I was, and I wanted to contribute something because the fact is that even though I'm retired, I said I can't. The animals up there are all wonderful. They're doing wonderful. I want to do my best to make them find good homes, provide the best conditions we can health-wise for them. Mm-hmm. And um I enjoy the people there. I enjoy the pets up there. And I'm trying my best to find these guys' homes as healthy <laughs> dogs. I, I, I love being there. Um, and I basically wanted to give something back. And that's basically the reason I'm doing this. That's amazing. Yeah, it's much easier to get them adopted if they're healthy. No, you, know, you want to make sure if there's something wrong with them, what they may think coming in is not healthy. It's a simple thing I can fix because it isn't a problem. It looks unhealthy from the outside. But once you get it under control, they say, oh, we know we've always got a little problem here. We can fix it. And then we get them a good home okay. with an understanding owner. Yeah, awesome. All right, we're going to take one little break, and we'll be right back. And we are back with Dr. Frank. He is going to share some information about how to do a physical exam of your pet at home. Thank you. Basically, when I have a client come in, the first thing I tell him is I look at the dog. If he's on the table or on the floor, pick up the gum, the lip. Look at the color of that gum. That gum should be nice and pink. If you press on the gum, it will turn white or pale for about two seconds. 
normal pet. Everybody's happy. That's what I want to hear and see. That tells us about our blood supply, the heart, respiration. It gives us a good handle on basic health just by that. Looking at the teeth along the gum line could tell us if we have tartar buildup, any loose teeth. Do you touch them in the area and the dog winces? That's a sign something's wrong with that tooth. So you push those teeth. That never hurts. They'll love you for that. Just push it on. When winces, we have a problem. Looking at the mouth, the color of the teeth just in general looks good. Okay, you don't have to worry about it. Once later, you look, if there's a change, you'll be aware of it because you knew what it looked like before. Mm-hmm. So we got a comparison there. At the same time, we look at their eyes. The dog's or cat's eyes should be nice and bright looking at you. They should, the pupils should be equal. They should look at you and just, oh, hey, everything is good. If one pupil is smaller, one is larger, or they're very lazy eyes, that's telling me something systemic in the pet, something is not right. Getting to know those features. You look at your cat's eye today, well, his eyes are small. Tomorrow they're back to normal. Just to get a quick run how it is. Mm-hmm. Like we look at ourselves, I guess, in the mirror in the morning. We say, okay, we look okay. Same as with the ears. Put my finger in the ear. Run your finger in the cat or dog's ear. They love having their ear rubbed. It feels good to them. Put your finger in If you have anything on your fingertip afterwards, maybe the ear needs to be cleaned. Mm-hmm. Or if they don't like it, they're telling you something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And those are the things indicated. If you run your hand down along the neck, down underneath the neck, under the jaw, you're rubbing under there, it should be nice and smooth. They should like it. If I feel any bumps under that jaw sticking out, that could indicate something's wrong because there's a lot of lymph nodes in that area. Mm-hmm. And it'd be pretty obvious. So yeah. these are the things we look at. Rub under the, everything so we keep going forward. I'm happy with that. I run our arms down, hand down the leg, look at the, the leg, pick the foot up, look at the paw. See the little feet. Make <laughs> sure that the, the paws are all good. There's no cuts or anything because they could have a lingering cut there or a splinter. You wouldn't even. So it's just looking at it to get to normal. It tells us we're okay. And these are the things you just observe when you pet. Once in a while, just because I usually tell owners, you look at something today, three months later you look at it again to see if it's a change. That's how we know. Change is a factor. Even when they take a blood test on your pet, the veterinarian may say, let's take a blood test. You go, why? There's nothing wrong with my pet. He has a baseline to look at. Mm-hmm. So that a year, a month later, if there's a change in that baseline, he has something to compare it to. Yeah. And then see it. That's why we do that. We don't look for blood tests for the fun. It's a base to get. Mm-hmm. So the same way we're talking about the pet, the pet, you run your hand along their body wall, their cavity, and you should feel a nice, firm dog. If I don't feel the ribs on a pet or a whether a cat or a dog, but don't feel the ribs and they're deep, that means I'm a little bit overweight here. Mm-hmm. And that could be an indication just by that. Yeah. You could speak to your veterinarian or our foods to help that, but I should feel the ribs, almost like you feel your hand. If you don't feel it, they're getting on that plump side, okay. which could lead to other issues. We all know this, yeah. heart disease, diabetes, leg problems, whatnot. Yeah. Those are the considerations. Same with the back leg. We look at the leg, run a hand along the body, feeling for anything that might be an anomaly. Bumps, lumps. We can feel them real quick. Mm-hmm. They're simple. Just pet your dog. Oh, it's just a little bump here. Could be nothing. Mm-hmm. But that's how you dress it. And then you leave it alone. Let yeah. it go. Simple things like that. How bowel movements are. Is he straining? Is there blood in the urine? Or is there blood in the bowel movement? Just looking at those little innuendos could give us a hint of the pet's well-being. If he's standing there wiggling his tail happy and looks like good, that's what I want to see. Okay. In most cases. And that just gives us a good idea that you don't do it. And then day by day, just looking at those for changes is what we look for. Mm-hmm. And if they're there, you'll know about it. What would you say if the dog is scooting? Well, if the dog is there, if he's doing something, that's, that's how you, you, it shouldn't be normal. dog shouldn't be scooting. Yeah. Why is he doing this here? He's scooting because either he has something happening in the tail, something in the rectal area, or even in the perineal area, you know, the vaginal area, if you want to call it that whole section. The most common issue is anal glands in dogs. Anal glands are located by the rectum, mm-hmm. like the four and seven o'clock position, and they'll fill up, and they cause like a hemorrhoid, a- a itching. Yeah. 
And the most consistent reason they fill up is for allergies. Okay. Whenever dogs have allergies to the skin, well, that's got nothing to do with the anal glands. Or if they have ear problems, it's related to the anal glands. Oh, wow. If you express the anal glands, the ears will get better, and sometimes the allergy goes down. Oh, that's good It's to a know. kind of a incidental that I found over the years. <laughs> so if he's doing this, it's telling me something. There's also parasites that can create that, too. One oh, wow. known as tapeworm. And okay. tapeworm is a little piece of rice. It looks like a little rice segment in the rear end or in the fecal material. That causes it to itch back there, oh. both cats and dogs. And they'll scoot on. You may not even see the element there, but that gives the veterinarian something to work with, yeah. to look at. Okay. And those are the innuendos or the hints that tell us what we may be looking for. Mm-hmm. And if, to interesting note, in a stool sample, you don't find tapeworms. Oh, wow. It's very rare to find them because the tapeworm is just a little piece of rice. It's a fa- it's a egg pod. It bursts into the air. It's absorbed by fleas. Oh, wow. It's not meant to go into the dog's cycle, so we don't see it on a sample. Usually, the owner will notice that on a fresh stool sample or on the dog's rear that they see this little rice, and that's something to look for. Mm -hmm. Very difficult for the veterinarian to find it. It could be there, but it's not the most common thing we find. Okay. That's good to know for sure. And if you have that, you usually have a flea in there someplace. Oh, so they usually the have fleas. fleas as had well. a flea because they have to swallow the flea to get oh. the tapeworm. That's how they get it. If you took that tapeworm and just fed it to a dog, nothing would happen. It has to go through a cycle in the flea's body. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's the key factor. Okay. Good to know for sure. And what would you recommend would be a good diet for dogs to keep them trim and healthy? Well, diet, diets for dogs, there are so many different variables out there today. They're all of them are quality, qualified. My biggest concern is I like something that is going to be a maintenance diet to keep weight under control. Mm-hmm. You have some pu- puppy diets. Puppy diets are great for the growing dog, but, but then they overdo it. They yeah. don't need that anymore. Senior dogs need a little different diet too. So all these diets are out there geared for the different stages of life. So whichever one your pet does well with in moderation, we want to make sure that they can handle it. Maybe he's allergic to chicken or beef and doesn't do well. If your dog's doing well with it and they like the food and there's no problem with that and you're feeding them the correct amount, and you avoid giving them everything off the table, mm-hmm. they should do very well. Yeah. If we ever decide to switch food, which is a key factor from one flavor to another or one brand to another, you have to do it gradually over a period of three to five days. If you do it too quickly or abruptly, mm-hmm. you can get diarrhea and vomiting okay. just from the quick change. Yeah. That's why if you give them something off the – if you have a barbecue and they give them two hamburgers, the dog gets diarrhea the next day it's because of that quick change of food. Yeah. And that's what you have to be aware of. But foods are really based on the dog's stage of life. Okay. So human food is a big no-no. Yeah, human food, is, we all cheat. Don't get us wrong. <laughs> we all have to do this. We give them something on oh, my poor dog, give him a piece of steak. Yeah. A little piece is okay, but we give him a 10-pound piece of steak to eat. Yeah. He's going to have an issue the next day. Like if we had to eat a 10-pound piece of steak at one time, yeah. and that's where we have an issue. So we try to keep a little here or there, and if he has a problem, you know what did it. Mm-hmm. We know, okay, he was the barbecue, they gave him a piece of chicken yesterday, he got sick. Objects like bones... Things like this can cause obstructions. Those are things we don't want to have. Yeah. That's what we have to be aware of. So you give him a spare bone, then I'm a little worried. I've heard no cooked bones. Is that correct? What's it? No to Even no beef bones? Bones in general. Any kind of bone. Nothing. Okay. The meat off of it is, well, you're spicy maybe. You get a bellyache. But yeah. an actual physical object like a rib bone chomps up and crushes. Yeah. And what that can do, that can lead to splinters in the belly and cause obstructions okay. and perforations. I had one dog that had a knuckle bone. The big knuckle bone is a big round knuckle. Mm-hmm. And they even sell these. And they're okay. And the dog just gnawing on it, chewing on it. What he did is he chewed it, and he was breaking it down, and the little pieces of the bone fiber come with the calcium was coming out like in sand, oh. going into him, and he chewed it over time. It caused a rock 
the foreman as a contestant. Oh, geez. Over time, yeah, and I never saw that. It was just, and we had to remove it. It was a stone that came from gnawing on this piece of thing. It's no, a rock of calcium. Rock of calcium he just wow. built up. So it was a crazy one, but that can happen. Yeah. Obviously, a rib bone will splinter like, mm-hmm. like, and that's a problem. So we want to stay that. Chicken bones, Definitely they have no. chicken bones deadly because they have small bones. So they actually, the thigh bone, they call it the kill bone. It's, a, it's the, the fibula on the chicken, if I remember, and that'll get wedged in their throat and cause them to choke. Oh, yeah. So, so we no, want to stay away from this stuff. Yeah, okay? no cooked bones. Yeah, or no bones. In no general. bones. <laughs> no, not anything. You know, so the, anything soft, let them work on it. I will jump back even like a rawhide. Even though it's hard, it's chewable, but they can swallow it quickly, which is a problem. Yeah. If your dog's ever chewing on something, you want to take it from him because you think he's going to choke. Chances are they're not going to choke. We chew things, but if you go to pull it from him, yeah, he's going to make an attempt to swallow it. Oh, gosh. To, and that's the problem. Okay. That's good to know for sure. All right. We're going to take one more quick break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Frank. Alrighty, guys, we're back with Dr. Frank, and we're going to talk about the importance of spay and neutering your pets and how it can help your pets out and you. Definitely. Spaying and neutering pets is one of the most important things we could do. That's what we do at the Flagler Shelter all mm-hmm. the time, too. reason is, obviously, in the female, you don't want to have unwanted puppies out there because that's another issue. And that's, unfortunately, what we do in our human field. It keeps us under control. Yeah. Okay? It's a big issue. And, and the female dog... That's doing this over time. Will it will take a load on her body? Yeah. So the dog in the wild isn't living as long as our dogs if they're producing pets, uh, puppies all the time. Yeah. It's a poor quality of life for them. Okay, in survival, well, great. They'll live there for five years and then that's it. But we don't want this. Mm-hmm. So spaying the female dog is helpful. With that it's also it prevents them from getting what we call uterine cancer, yeah. breast cancer, which is related to the estrogen levels in the body, and also what they call an infected uterus or a pyometra. These are deadly situations. That's for cats, too. My but cat, any, any female pet, same thing, any across the board, whether it's cows, they all go through the same thing. Horses, pigs, it's the same. We don't spay horses, it's yeah. too, but the same thing in the cats. They develop major diseases related to this. So if I spay them early in life, these diseases can be minimized. They can show up, yeah, there's a f- f- percentage of something, but that's the rarity. And I want to protect them to have so they don't get this in the later part of life. But that's detrimental. And the male dog, Neutering the male dog takes away that desire to go out and fight with other dogs, mm-hmm. to be more aggressive. He's trying to protect things. This is what they do in nature. That's their job. Yeah. We don't want this in our in our environment, in our social environment with our owners, with our household. Yeah, children. Children and, and family. Yeah. We want them to be part of the family. Mm-hmm. Neutering the dog also would prevent him from getting testicular tumors, which mm-hmm. are common, prostate cancer and a few other cancers related to the release of testosterone in the body that we're removing at this dog. He doesn't need us at this point. We're not making him breed. We're taking away what he was used to doing, which is running out and breeding. He became part of the family now. Mm-hmm. And that's the important issue with doing this. They love it. They do the same. We need to keep them exercising, obviously. Right? Pet. Keep them moving. We want to keep them walking so they don't get overweight because maybe now he's not chasing the female dogs anymore. We want to keep his weight under control, right diets, and so on. That's my biggest entity about 
doing this in pets, and I can't emphasize it enough. Because, yeah, the, when they are neutered, the male dogs, they do become a little calmer. They become they exercise less, so it's important. To- yeah, and because they, they, they feel more like they don't have to do certain things. Right? As We could relate to as humans the same thing. They but don't. that could be useful if your dog is really crazy and you need help training it. It can of help course. calm it a little of bit. Course. I, 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 I could give credit to somebody who could try to train a non-neutered dog. It's yeah. very difficult. I mean, it's po- every, everything is possible. You have professionals that could do this and you do it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little more complicated. Definitely. <laughs> you know, and you still have that risk factor of him down the line developing issues that I don't want to have to make those calls. Like I mentioned to you about euthanasia, have a dog come in who's not 10 years old with a prostate cancer you can't do anything for. Aww. What do you tell that owner? You shouldn't have just neutered your dog 10 years ago? Yeah. I can't do that. But now they're at a point of no return. And that's what I try and not get to. That's my education to the owner along the way. Yeah, it's important. Being educated on all these things are very important. All righty. So if you or anyone you know is looking for a new pet, make sure to check out all of the animals in need of loving homes at the Flagley Humane Society. All of our adoptions include up-to-date vaccinations, up-to-date flea and heartworm prevention, a microtrip, spay or neuter surgery, a 14-day free veterinary visit, and 30-day free pet insurance provided by the microtrip company. We also have various volunteer opportunities available to suit your unique skills or interests. Make sure to visit our website, flagleyhumanesociety.org and click the Get Involved tab to learn more about becoming a volunteer and to submit an online volunteer application. We have new volunteer orientations every month, which are normally on the second Sunday of the month. However, our next volunteer orientation will be October 15th, which is the third Sunday, because on October 8th, the second Sunday, we have our Pink Army 5K pet-friendly one-mile walk, and that is at the Advent Health Medical Hospital at 60 Memorial Medical Parkway in Palm Coast. And you can register online now by going to our website under the events page. We hope to see you all there and all your pets dressed in pink as a percentage of all pet-friendly walk registrations go towards helping the Flagley Humane Society. And I wanted to give a big thank you for all the education you shared with us, Dr. Frank, today. I thank you for having me here. And I if you have need, I'd love to be back again. Yes, that would be awesome. We would love to have you. Thank you. Alrighty, thank you to everyone for listening to Speaking of Animals. I hope you guys all have a great rest of your Saturday. 